Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Your eyes um, drift across a crowd of people, and they slowly stop and fix on one person, and all of a sudden that person isn't part of the crowd anymore. They become an individual, just like that. Just became irresistible. So you followed women? I followed anybody. I just wanted to see where they went, what they did. It was supposed to just be completely random. You'll never follow the same person twice. That was the most important rule. That was the one that I broke first. That's when the trouble started. I got burgled yesterday. What's it feel like being uh, broken into? You're developing a taste for it. The violating the wire is most definitely you. Well, what did you think about following uh, Michael Dennison? Because you, you've been texting me, and you seem like you've been you've been just itching uh, to talk about it. It was a bit of a struggle for me, wasn't it? Considering it's a uh, an hour nine minute movie, uh, it took me a few attempts to uh, to get into it, and I guess I just never did. This is something I you know it's it's will probably be a fairly decent discussion. We'll see, I guess, for this podcast because I think I really would have been into it in '99 if I discovered it as a teenager. But as an old man, I don't know, like any anything where it's going to appear to be a character study. Uh, we've got this guy who's, you know, he's credited as the young man or our lead character who uh, is recounting this tale of this, this hobby he developed of following people. Uh, I'm into that until he follows a thief, a criminal. I'm like, oh, it's going to be another 90s independent crime story. And uh, that's that's about the pretty much the jumping off point for me is when we introduce Cobb, our our thief here, uh, that I almost lose all interest in the film, and I don't think it ever really regains its footing for me. It could be because they're they're amateur actors, you know, it's a, a first time feature filmmaker here. I mean, there there is stuff to admire, but as far as the actual story, uh, no, I, th- I think it's pretty trite seeming and uh, almost none of it works because I don't care about any of the characters. Okay. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so it was I, mean, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't follow that. <laughs> Three um, stars B plus movie <laughs> basically is what I'm saying. Um, you know, I, I was surprised when you had this one on the schedule 
because I was thinking to my, and I don't even know if it's generally even considered like a 99 movie um, because it has that whole United Kingdom release date right. thing going on. Uh, and so I, I would have been just as happy to leave it off just because, <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel like Nolan's other movies, you know, in many ways. And it's not exactly going to, it's not exactly going to, you know, it's not exactly going to, uh, you know, um, um, contribute to the circle jerk of uh, Christopher Nolan right now because it's, you know, very different than his movies are um, today. And But I feel like his interest, you can still see the the type of characters he's interested in uh, through his earlier films. The, you know, the, the box that you'll, you'll see in Obsession, uh, the, the obsessive characters, uh, that sort of distance you have from them as far as what their you know personal background uh, is. It's just kind of they're on this one little mission. I, I think there are some similarities, but no, your common sort of letterbox Twitter user uh, fan of Dunkirk and the Dark Knight trilogy, yeah. <laughs> probably not so much. I agree with you there. Oh, did you see the Batman logo on the door? Clearly he knew he was going <laughs> to retake that franchise even then. Um, but, but, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I think, I think, my expectations were so low because I didn't remember being all that into it to begin with that I was kind of surprised how, you know, how much I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I don't think this is like really good filmmaking that can stand on its own or anything, but, you know, let's call this what it is. It's a cinematic curiosity, just like those early Stanley Kubrick movies are. Like they're very flawed and weird and disjointed and not nearly as good you know, is what he did later, but you see little touches and little things that, you know, go into play, um, you know, for the rest of his filmography and you kind of go, Oh yeah, that's kind of, kind of odd to see a guy first experimenting with stuff like that. Like, like the nonlinear structure here, which I think sometimes is interesting and sometimes is pointless. Um, but it's a jumping off point. I think oftentimes, like for me, when we, we jump ahead, our main character's got a new haircut or he's beat up. So, you, you know, you have these visual uh, signifiers. This is a different time period. Uh, you know, for me, un unless you give me some reasoning why we're jumping ahead or jumping back, uh, I I start to drift. You know, <laughs> when I was watching it this morning, I was picking up my phone. And to be fair, I had seen this before uh, and didn't really take to it then. But, yeah, I really, really hate the structure. And there is apparently a bonus feature uh, on the the Criterion that plays it in linear fashion. Yeah, I, I have a copy of that, but I was gonna I was gonna watch it, but I ran out of time. So <laughs> I don't know if it would add much to it, but uh, it would contribute to what you're saying, the curiosity factor, because that actually, you know, if I'd had a little bit of time, uh, and I probably should have just watched it that way. You may be getting a more glowing review because I really, really did not like the way uh, he told the story here. I didn't I didn't feel like it added much to it as far as the little twists and turns. The one that really sticks out to me as being really unnecessary and really showing the director's hand, and I think Nolan would probably not do this today, um, is the is the quick shot we get of him coughing up the latex glove. Um, you know, it just does really just like it doesn't even seem to be uh, an intentional like story jump of any kind. It's just oh, wouldn't it be weird if we had the shot here and then you see it see it again later. Um, it doesn't seem to really, there doesn't seem to be any other reason for it to exist, um, you know, in the story. Um, but other, well, other than that, I mean, I agree with you somewhat on the nonlinear structure. You can really tell this is a guy 
just wanting to throw a bunch of stuff up and see what works and see if, you know, if, if this idea that he has for telling the story is going to work. Um, and so in that regard, I do, I, I really enjoy it and I really respect it. Um, if, if I was to see this now and you were to take the name off of the director off, I would say, you know, this is someone who has a lot of potential. This is someone whose next work I want to see. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just, uh, I I would rather see a story about, uh, I mean, I hate to use this because it's, it's so broad, it's broad strokes here, but you know, just real people. Like, I I don't know, like Cobb, this, this thieving mentor relationship that the sort of speech he gives about why he does what he does and this, this upheaval he brings to, to people when he, 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 you know, breaks into their homes and, uh, tries to make them value what they have. I just, you know, I just find it like all like young man bullshit. I, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't, I don't find any of it to be particularly interesting. I, I just feel like for all the, the criticism that no one gets about, you know, his films being cold, this would actually be good. I think evidence to bring in there because I think it would, it would allow the, uh, the haters to be like, no, there's been some genuine growth there uh, and affection that he has for his characters. Cause there's, there's no affection here at all for any of these people. You know, you say that. And, and I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've always caught, thought of you as like the big Nolan fanboy among between the two of us. Um, is that not really? Or, no. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, uh, so <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Memento and I still like, I love Guy Pierce. I love his performance. Uh, I love the heavy in that. Um, I, you know, going on from uh, Matrix, uh, Joey Pants again, uh, coming back. Oh, I yeah. think he's That's great. That's a great Joey Pants performance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I like the Batman movies quite a bit, but uh, I don't think The Dark Knight is uh, one of the greatest cinematic achievements ever. That that sort of thing. So no, I'm by no means a huge uh, Christopher Nolan fan. I was kind of muted on on Dunkirk. Uh, I will say this: I'm someone that really is probably more annoyed by the debate over Christopher Nolan. Okay. Than I'm just, I'm just very lukewarm on him. I, you know, I think, I think they're solid, but that's about it. I mean, I didn't even see Dunkirk. Uh, so that's where, where I'm coming, you know, from it. But, but I always really liked, I always really liked Memento and Insomnia. And I really thought there was a different track for him to go as director in that. I thought he could have made, he could have continued to make movies that are 72% uh, or 75% uh, character-driven and 25% plot-driven. And instead, he went in the opposite way, and now he's making uh, 75% plot-driven movies and 25% character-driven. And from what I hear, Dunkirk is even less than that, that you don't have any sense of the of the characters at all. And um, I don't know, you, you of, the one, of the two that, you know, of us, you're the one who's seen it, so maybe you can shed some light. Uh, but that's why I didn't end up seeing it in theaters. Like, I'll probably wait for it on video. Um, which just crushes poor Chris Nolan. Well, <laughs> you're, you're you're not seeing it. I'm in not trying to crush scene format because I actually do like a lot of his movies and everything. It's just that a part of me has always felt kind of disappointed that he didn't just make small character pieces. You know, not not. I I mean, I don't want to say like following, but I you know with the same kind of. Um, you know, without all the technical wizardry and everything uh, as his later movies, something very pared down and small. And maybe, and you know, after he has, 
you know, later in his career when he's 65 years old and he has a bunch of bombs, maybe we'll see him return, uh, you know, to something like that. Uh, I can only hope. Um, but there is something. No, he'll be pulled into a Star Wars movie. He'll take I, over. I for really some hope young, not. <laughs> young up and coming filmmaker. He'll he'll pull a Ron Howard and he'll he'll just replace somebody as an old man. I really hope not. And and I feel like that's a backhanded insult to uh, Ron Howard. <laughs> Uh, hey, you know. you're the one that's picked on him on this this series, <laughs> wanting to highlight an an episode as the man's worst work he created on film. But so I actually I actually enjoy the character building here. Uh, I like the two main performances, um, and I was surprised to see that the lead actor didn't do anything after this, and that the the other guy uh, who played Cobb that it was basically um, you know same similar thing, like just hasn't had much of a career. Um, you know, and so it's, there's an important lesson there in that, you know, um, those people who are always telling you to, to work for free on their movies and everything, and that if they get really big and famous, you, you know, you'll go along with them. It's all bullshit. <laughs> like, now, how dare you, Ben? Uh, Chris Nolan took, uh, Jeremy, uh, Theobald here who, who plays the lead. He played younger Gotham waterboard oh, yeah, tech yeah, in yeah, Batman was... Begins. <laughs> What do you think the residuals are on that? You think he's still getting checks for Batman Begins? I was surprised. You criticized their performances, but I think they actually he's okay. did pretty good. I think Cobb. I think Cobb is pretty damn bad. I, I think he's he's got the look. I think. Uh, I guess I won't. I won't name the actor because you know he's not really in the business, and there's there's no need to like pick on someone. But I, other than the fact that he's he's handsome, uh, and it, a lot of it is just that sort of. It's like it's really overwritten dialogue. It's that. Like, uh, you know, I always thought like Kevin Smith, you know, he always would talk about certain actors that can deliver his his dialogue. And I'm like, not really. I was like, I don't think there's an actor that exists that can deliver the pages of nonsense Kevin Smith puts on the page and make it sound reasonably part of our world. And there's a little bit here with Cobb. He's got a lot of the, the big speeches and he's got, you know, he's playing what we'll see later uh, in this podcast is basically like a very Tyler Durden S character. He's someone that is attempting to influence uh, a, a young sort of lost soul with the force of his personality and his, the force of his philosophy that he's developed. And it, it, that's, you know, it takes a certain type of charisma uh, and a certain type of, I guess, technical talent as a director, which Christopher Nolan's first feature. Uh, I just don't think they, they had yet. You know, I think um, to what you're saying, it's kind of interesting because he did start to pair back in his character studies. Um, there are certainly big showy moments in Memento, but you have professional actors delivering them. Uh, Insomnia, my God, you have Al Pacino and Robin Williams. So, I, you know, I think it's just, this is interesting to watch as far as, and I understand why Criterion has selected it as far as, you know, people want to go back and kind of study the man's work. And it's probably something that they could get the rights to. Um, but no, I, I didn't find the performances very good here. I don't really like the femme fatale, the blonde either i don't know n none of these situations she's the one person who, who's had a career uh past this movie so <laughs> i i mean i don't know if that's uh reasonable she also was in batman begins female restaurant guest so uh but uh yeah okay tony erdman she was recently in that so big indie success i guess um i yeah i'm if i'm one of the characters in this world i don't know why they're so interested in the people they're dealing with i don't know how they get involved in this noir plot because i'm not interested as an audience member like you know when this the blonde when we meet her at the bar and she basically tells our lead to to fuck off i don't know why he's still sitting there i, I, have yeah, no I agree i agree that the setup there is a little bit of a stretch i agree with that 
and I, I think all of, I mean, the, you know, at the last, I guess I paused it, <laughs> you know, a little behind the scenes here on, on how I operate for these particular episodes. Uh, I paused it to get up and get something to drink. And I saw there was like six minutes left in the movie. I'm like, Jesus. So uh, it's like, everything's just going to be like basically told to us. It, it's like the, the, the last scenes in psycho here. I'm like, I did not even realize I felt like we still had another 20 minutes to go at least. And it's like, Oh, I guess we're getting ready for the, the big speeches. And, uh, it's, it's very rushed for such a short film. They really just hold back for that, like final climactic moment worse where everyone puts their cards on the table. And I just sort of shrug. I'm just like, Oh, that kind of sucks. But I don't know why you did that. I don't, I don't know. I felt like I was just watching a bunch of foolish people do foolish things. I guess that would have been a better movie for you, <laughs> but it's really funny because I really thought we would have been coming at this from completely opposite ends because I don't, I didn't remember too much about it. I just remember um, thinking it was okay, um, you know, when I saw it and um, I don't know, I had a very different experience. It was a breeze for me. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a small scale little film noir um, with a lot of the staples of film noir in it and and just done with this kind of new um twist with a with a with you know a, a nonlinear structure and a guy who you know wants to um you know follow other people i think i think when you have that like voyeur um sense and you can kind of see it from you know theobald from jeremy theobald's uh you know perspective in the beginning of oh i've always wondered what that would be like to just to just follow another person and and see what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like when you have that Hitchcockian uh sense of voyeurism, um, you 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 end up putting yourself in his shoes and and kind of asking, well, what would I do if I was encountered with a guy like Cobb? Would would I be kind of uh um um incensed by by this whole idea of going in other people's homes and just drinking their wine, not even really um making big steals uh from them or anything. Um and you know, it's an interesting idea. Uh, I could see. I wonder. I wonder if this could be remade uh, yes. to something. Yes, it could. <laughs> by by Nolan himself. I wonder if he could join a very small, um, you know, group of uh, of directors who have actually remade their own works. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, John Hughes, few others. I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, I certainly. You know, I've harped on the casting, but you know, one one of the interesting elements of it that I would like to have seen explored more is you know is our fall guy here, the one that, that falls into this particular plot, our, our lead, um, is he, are we meant to rejoice that he's punished in the end, that he he has to, he has been completely set up because he's a wannabe writer who lacks any sort of imagination. Like he cannot see anything coming. Sure, like he has sure. never, he's had no yeah. interest in other people. And that that's certainly, a, no, a lot of Nolan's work is like, you know, if you just pitch it to me, it's like, oh, that's a, yeah, that's interesting. That, that'll be a cool movie. Uh, but it is totally executioner, and you know I, I have to mention yet again, you know this the, the filming of this where they filmed it for like a year on like Saturdays because these people have real jobs. There is certain leeway you have to give them, and I think that's why you know it's part of the Criterion Collection. Uh, so that's uh, that's where I disagree with you a little bit. If it came out now and it wasn't a name, I don't I would have zero interest because I'm only looking at this as far as like how did Nolan become who he is? Where did he start? What was his his interest, what were the, the stories that clicked with him. But yeah, I, I would probably, if this was just a no name filmmaker now, I don't think I would uh, seek out what their next project would be based on that. They would have to show me more than this. That is the really sad thing. I, I feel while watching this movie is that that whole um, era where a guy 
could take out a huge risk, which must, must have been a huge financial risk for him at the time to use $6,000 to make this movie with, you mm -hmm. know, friends on weekends who, are, who all have jobs and everything, and then could end up with a whole, you know, career, um, you know, from that. Uh, you know, and I'm and, and not discounting, you know, the, the cri critical uh, praise he got from Memento after this and everything, but, you know, this led to Memento and Memento led to Insomnia and, and so on and so on. Um, you know, that whole era is over. That whole era is over. Uh, you, yeah. you know, people are not, it's not it, raw talent and risk is not really emphasized anymore. It's social engineering and connections and I think the the iPhone filmmaker, the Sean Baker guy, is a good example of that. Like people are name filmmakers before they even um, prove themselves at all. Uh, you know, you don't even have to appeal to an audience or anything. Um, you you know, you just appeal to the A twenty four crowd, and suddenly you're a name filmmaker. Uh, and a name and, you know, in certain circles, but no one, no real people. Actually yeah, it doesn't, see it doesn't mean meaningless, meaningless yeah. to the people who actually pay to go to see movies. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a good point. I mean, there is, there is unfortunately an, an issue with the democratization of filmmaking now to the point where there's so much content and so many avenues to release it that uh, Christopher Nolan only exists because, as you said, he was willing to take that sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, he had to he had to pay like. And they had to rehearse their, their scenes so many times so they could only really afford to do one or two takes. I mean, there was there was dedication and some sense of precision needed here. Whereas now, yeah, if you're just shooting on an iPhone, while that's also a cool curiosity, um, it doesn't really prove that you necessarily have to drive to do it. Because everyone, everyone has, for the most part, some sort of smartphone in their pocket and can film their friends and, and post on YouTube. But... Um, I, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know how that sense of discovery works because when you go back to that, you know, I didn't know what following was. It probably would take still a few years now, uh, for me to catch up on something like following, uh, whereas now it's the opposite. I hear of things that are announced and they're almost readily available, but they're competing with thousands of other things mm -hmm. that I'm also reading on IndieWire. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's, what's best, but I, I think as far as, filmmaking goes uh it was we probably as uh, as paying theater goers we probably got better product back then when it was when it was harder when it was harder just to make the damn thing yeah um, you, you made fun you were making fun of kevin smith but you know he you know to give him credit you know he did the same thing he took a huge risk and, and had to really prove himself and it was you know would have been uh you know hor a horrible financial position for him, him himself to put it put himself in if that if clerks hadn't worked out um, but you know, I think I agree with you. I think that was a better system. Uh, as always, when we start to get to the end of these episodes, I'm just like, well, I'm just now depressed. This is, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, cause think about it. Cause the next Christopher Nolan could be out there, but his film is getting lost amongst a sea of, you know, bullshit from, you know, overprivileged, uh, hipsters or whatever, who just decided to make a movie. Uh, and had the connections to do so or whatever. Um, and there's just so much of it that you can't really parcel out the, you know, the brilliant stuff from, from the bullshit. And so, you know, Christopher Nolan is out there and, you know, he's not getting recognized. Yeah. Like we, we will not probably have a chance to go back and do a podcast nitpicking that person's the hypothetical next Christopher Nolan's first film, because you know, we won't, we won't <laughs> see it. And there's, there is something that there is also something said for letting, uh, filmmaker breathe and letting him work out the the junk, letting yeah. him, you know, working mm -hmm. with non-actors, working like 
Kevin Smith, I would say, is probably the antithesis of Nolan in the sense that he didn't really grow that much as far as his his style necessarily. And actually, when he did step out of it, uh, sometimes it you know it worked. Sometimes it, he really fell on his face when he was trying to do something different from from Clerks or Mallrats and Chasing Amy. Uh, but yeah, Nolan. Um, I mean, now like it's just you know he had to he he did it sort of the old fashioned way as far as what you mentioned. You know, going from Jeremy Theobald, no offense to the guy, because apparently he's, I did read, did you read anything about him as far as what he's doing now? Uh, no. He, he's like a successful, like, you know, uh, uh, it's like social work of some sort. Oh. Like he's very well respected sort of, uh, in the, the educational field, all that, like he's, he's done well for himself. Um, but you know, he went from Jeremy Theobald to Guy Pierce, which is a huge leap, especially coming off LA confidential, uh, you know, not Harrison Ford by any means, but that's a big step. And then going from that to Pacino and Robin Williams, uh, he, you know, he did it the right way as opposed to, I think now, you know, um, who is the, the guy that did safety, not guarantee that catches all the, the internet hell. Oh yeah. I don't remember. Uh, is it Edwards or no, that's the monster guy. Um, I forget but, his name now. Okay. But similar, <laughs> similar situations, right? Where they, they do an indie and then suddenly they're directing, you know, Godzilla and dinosaur movies. But safety not guaranteed is essentially the memento, um, you know, in the analogy here. You know what I mean? There wasn't like a. a but there like was. Where was the insomnia? Ending. Is what I'm saying in between. Where's the the? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Colin <laughs> Trevorrow, no Colin Trevorrow, yeah. who gets all the internet hate, even yeah. though everyone loved uh, Jura- the shitty Jurassic World. Movie. Isn't that funny? <laughs> uh, everyone has doubled. Like they're like saying, no, no, no. I truly hate it. I was like, that was well received by everyone on like mm-hmm. it would say it was a big hit uh critics i don't know if they gave it a pass but they're like, hey this is enjoyable it's a good summer movie and now suddenly it is like what is wrong with hollywood is jurassic world it's the, is- it's the super eight effect like the week of everyone loves it and you're you're an asshole if you don't love it but then two two or three weeks down the line everyone's uh you know pointing out everyone's like more more sober-minded and can see all the flaws in it and everything um it's really i just want to point out that you and i are very consistent and that we are always assholes no matter what what time (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) i don't think i have anything else i think that's the that's my appropriate final statement is that we're just two assholes uh doing this podcast and thank you for listening uh what's up next ben uh next week we're gonna have cookies fortune and i think you and i had talked about doing uh sort of a discussion on robert altman um as well with that because we've actually discussed that movie relatively recently yeah so there there may be some sort of hybrid cut there from another another podcast where we we discussed that uh but i look forward to that because um is it going to be like the the golden girls episodes are we going to come in and be like oh hey here's a cheesecake remember what we talked about cookies fortune that was incredible i've always wanted to do a a clip show so yes i think this is the, the opportune time to do that but uh yeah, Altman, he's made a couple of good movies, so that should be all right. We should be able to find something in there to talk about. I was going to literally just list off every feature film of his that I've seen. I've seen all of them and um, and just say exactly what I think about them. Okay, that'll be easy <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, look forward to that uh, next week on 99 from 99. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. Pictures they make these days are all MTV. Cut, 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 cut. The opening shot of uh, Wells' Touch of Evil was six and a half minutes long. Six and a half minutes long? Uh, three or four anyway. He set up the whole picture with that one tracking shot. My father was uh, 
Keep grip on that street. Hey, what about absolute beginners, man? That was an extraordinary shot. What the hell was that? I've never heard of it. It's Julian Temple. It's in English. We're in English. We're talking about American movies and Orson Welles. Hi, Buck. How are you? Good. How you doing? Good. What do you got for me? Okay. Here it is. The Graduate, Part Two. Oh, good. good. Now listen. The three principals are still with us: Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, Catherine Ross. Mm -hmm. Twenty-five years later, and so are the characters: Ben, Elaine, and Mrs. Robinson. Ben and Elaine are married. Still, they live in a big old spooky house up in Northern California somewhere, and Mrs. Robinson lives with them. Mm. Her aging mother, who's had a stroke, Mrs. and Robinson lives, had Mrs. A Robinson has a stroke, so she can't talk. It's gonna be funny. Yeah, it'll be funny. With Dark a stroke and weird and funny, and with a stroke.